At Her Spirit, we're here for you. We want to help you discover your potential, achieve your goals, ignite your fitness, find your community. Head to herspirit.co.uk and sign up for our core membership. Get access to our virtual classes, monthly challenges, expert advice and track your progress in our health hub. You'll also find your very own cheerleading squad who will support you every step of the way. Use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 and get three months completely free. It's time for you. Hi, it's Annie here. Just before today's podcast, let me tell you about the Her Spirit community. The Her Spirit community provides a fun, safe and supportive space for every woman to get fitter, stronger and healthier. So download the app today to find out more. Right, everyone, here we are again, the Her Spirit podcast. I can see Annie grinning at me uh, from the other end of the country. How are you, Annie? And you've got new members of your household, which I'm kind of excited about, slightly jealous. We have got four new chicks. They are gorgeous. Who ever, ever would have imagined that you could like a chicken? They're so affectionate. Did you know that they actually purr like like cats? So you can pick them up. But they've only been with us a day. They're totally settled in. The dog's slightly hysterical. I know he wants to wring their necks, but he'll get used to it. Cat, The cat's pupils are completely dilated, but they are safe. They've got a very nice home. And yeah, hopefully in about six weeks time, we'll be getting four eggs a day, apparently. Yeah, I was going to say, is that what the idea is, that you've gone kind of like, you know, back to your roots and all the rest of it? Just in case there's another lockdown and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to, we'll be self-contained here. <laughs> One of my favourite things about lockdown has been for, I think it was a, something like six, well, how long have we been in it? About four or five months, I did the milk delivery for my neighbours um, for various reasons. So I'd get back from work and then I'd go and pick up the milk and then I'd drop it round to, to my neighbours. And as a result... One of my neighbours gives me eggs because they had chickens as well. And honestly, it's the best thing ever. And the brilliant thing is I don't have to do the milk run anymore and I still get the eggs. So that was worth that it, wasn't was it? That was really worth it. I mean, you know, lots of positive <laughs> things have come out of the last six months for sure, haven't they? Yeah. Um, I don't know how positive our next guest is feeling, um, but I'm just looking at the background that she's sitting and it we're going to be transported to the mountains and the snow, aren't we, Annie? I think we most definitely are. I'm very excited to... Um, to uh, present our new guest. It is Great Britain's most successful all-time female skier. She's a four-times Winter Olympian. She was voted Sunday Times Junior Sportswoman of the Year. She is also a mummy of two lovely little boys. Shemi, welcome to Her Spirit Podcast. Oh, thank you. It's so much amazing to be here and hearing all about your chickens. (laughs) I'm very jealous. Do you know that actually there's a massive waiting list on trying to buy a chicken? I did know. I read that, yes. I don't even have a big garden, but I eat a lot of eggs. And I was thinking, you know, I'd love to have a chicken. And I follow and I'm friends with Greg Rutherford and he's got chickens. And I'm so jealous of every day going out there and he gets to get his chickens and stroke them whilst they're laying their eggs. And I'm like, you know what? That Everyone's kind of becoming more domesticated and we want to grow our own. I've had some very unsuccessful. I've got, um, we have peas. We've grown peas that never made it into the pot. <laughs> Because my boys, every morning at 6am, walk down to the end of the garden and just eat them raw. And I'm like, But that's beautiful, though. I'm winning, winning. Yes, definitely winning. Oh, my goodness. That's definitely winning at life. I I was just about to say, um, Shemi, you've talked about your little boys there. The last time I saw you was at BBC Sports Personality, obviously, a few years ago. You looked 
stunning, but you had the biggest bump in the planet. <laughs> I had to beg them to give me a plus one because, you know, I'm not an A-lister. Um, so going up there, you know, you're, you're supposed to go solo. And I said, please, please, I really need to bring someone. My husband's away um, and I might give birth. And um, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, I really want to come and support. But yeah, I'm due and um, and I'm feeling, you know, a few things here and there. Can I bring someone? So I brought like my mate who happens to have loads of babies. I'm like, my doula came with me. <laughs> to BBC but it was it was so fun you know it's almost like you feel like you're you're already living that baby's life when you're pregnant so everything you're doing you know I was skiing at six months I'm like well hey he's loving it (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness and you right now before we we started the podcast you you are actually on baby birth watch right this moment not for you (laughs) yeah so one of my best friends is um uh yeah she's in early labor right now um, and yes, she has a toddler who is my toddler's best friend. So I need to go and collect her baby um, so that she can give birth because toddlers aren't allowed in hospital. Thankfully, husbands now can be in hospital, but definitely no toddlers. So yes, I've we've been practicing for a couple of weeks because she's had quite a lot of false starts. Um, and it's so exhausting. I'm definitely finishing it too. I always wanted three. And now yeah. I've got two. I'm like, no, you know. Yeah. Jamie, you're too young to say that. I think if I'd have started earlier, I would have had three or four. Because you, you, you think you say no, no, no. And then, you know, you're too young. I, let, let's chat again in five years time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Uh, can I, um, Shemi, can we just talk about your name? So Shemi Alcott, or is it Alcott? You know, I don't really mind my surname, Alcott, Alcott. No, um, but Shemi, definitely. I've got quite a good surname story, actually. I've got good good name stories. My surname, on, name. Um, my father's surname is not actually Alcott. It's Alcock. Right. Um, and then the evolution of the English language. But my mother was a complete feminist. You know, she studied women's liberation. So she thought when we get married, I'd actually like to hyphenate our names. Um, and and the, the joke is that if they'd done that, we would be power all cock or all cock power. And I'm not joking. Completely true. I would be Shemi all cock power, which I think as a girl is amazing. And actually imagine me racing and all the commentators <laughs> having to go all cock power smashing up the slope i mean it would just be genius um but unfortunately they they changed they changed the name for my big brother um into all and i'm still all don't do that it's literally that's the best (laughs) name story i've heard and and exactly i'm thinking as soon as you said that i'm thinking from annie you know commentator point of view i mean what a name amazing yeah but absolutely brilliant but yeah one of those all time yeah that would that would um that would yes anyway say no more there (laughs) but yeah my, my my first name also quite a strange one but um I uh, my mum used to model when she was younger and everyone used to say like Sophia Loren um right. so when she she had quite a big struggle to have a girl I've got a few brothers and then a couple who actually unfortunately didn't survive um and they said to her after my oldest uh, brother they said um you know what, you need to, you need to stop having babies, Eve. You, you can't have any more. She's like, no, no, I'm going to keep going. She was really stubborn. I'm going to keep going because I want a girl. And they're like, well, you know, you know, the, the evidence might suggest that you might not have a girl. She's like, I'm going to have a girl. Anyway, um, so she found these old wives tales. She ate carrots every meal for nine months. 
before she conceived because she read <laughs> uh, unbelievably i love carrots now because you'd think that i would have this massive like allergy to them um she did all of this weird stuff and, and eventually she had her girl and she thought you know what i'm going to name her after a character that sophia loren played um in el cid which was kind of the original gladiator movie um so i named shimane after sophie loren unfortunately i pop out looking chubby i've got blonde hair blue eyes just like my dad not like sophie loren at all but i've got this amazing name but unfortunately then i had to change my name because shimane is a beautiful name but my first podium in italy they did this big you know build up because there was this brit finally on the podium they said you know in the den the place from a great britain we have we have chimney alcohol <laughs> And I was like, no, this is my, this is, you know, this is the highlight in my life so far. And you're calling me chimney. So unfortunately, um, I, I, I changed it to Shemi after that. So, so my oh, name Shemi. is nothing that I'm supposed to be at all. <laughs> have we, Louise, have we laughed so much at the beginning of a podcast I, ever? No, no, it's just the whole thing. It's just too much yeah. for me. We haven't even got any. No, normally, normally we're not laughing this much when we're doing a Friday well, night we, podcast. You did, you oh, did Shelley, want to say, did you, when we've brilliant. got a glass of wine? Because we're not supposed to talk about wine because we mention it every <laughs> single <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Sorry, not we, not we, you, Annie. Oh, ooh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> this would be going anyway, on a whole new level if we oh, had a, a GNT with us. Anyway, no, the, the, so, so yeah, talking about alcohol. Um, so the, the beautiful scene behind you, I mean, it, it, is it the Alps? What is it? It's, she's got like a snow scene for everybody who's not watching at home. It's not a snow scene, actually, is it? It's a ski scene. So this is, um, I was filming for Ski Sunday last year in Garmisch, which is in Germany. And there's a lift called the Zugspitz, which is a beautiful lift, very high. It's actually famous because one of the gondolas fell off last year. Everyone was fine. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, we went up it to get these like beauty shots for BBC. Um, and it's unbelievable. Germany tried to claim it as their view, but actually the whole view behind me is up in Germany, but looking over Austria. And it's just a, a stunning one. And, um, you know, I've been doing quite a lot of Zoom over lockdown. So I thought I'm going to become the the, the skiing background zoom. So Shemi, let's, um, let's take a look back over your, your career. How did the skiing all start out? Were you from a skiing family? So yes, um, I was from a very athletic family, but not skiing so much. My father was a rugby player and my mother was a swimmer. So I would say genetically, I got his glutes and her lungs. So I was made to live up a mountain. Um, but actually, the truth is, by the time I was born, my eldest brother, he'd been, he's really naturally talented at everything. So he was on a ski holiday and my parents fell in love with skiing, but they weren't allowed to do it when they were competing in their respective sports. So when they retired, they jumped into it. And Alex was quite naturally talented. So the French ski school saw him ski, at, you know, five years old and said, right, this, this, we're going to train this boy up. He's going to be great. So by the time I was born, he was already racing and I was like, I want to do what he's doing. He was kind of my idol and I was like, I want to follow him in. I learned when I was 18 months old. I was very stubborn, very quick learner. Um, born in July, my second Christmas, I was on skis. Um, and they say now you that you can't do that. You need to wait till the hips are developed and you're three years old. Um, but yeah, so that's when I started. Did my first race at three years old. I always thought I won this race. And actually, it's quite embarrassing for, for about... 20 or 30 years I've been telling all the press that I won my first race at three totally naturally talented my dad finally called me two years ago and said listen I can't read this anymore these lies I said what do you mean these lies and he said you didn't win that race at three I said yes I got I got this teddy it's got a gold medal around its neck and he said Shemi everyone under the age of five got one of those and I said yes but come on I must have been you know I must have shown a bit of talent he said on the way down I was videoing you you skied over and gave me a kiss in the middle of the race. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
oh yeah that's probably not that fast is it and he's like no no you were not fast you've got to stop telling people you were good (laughs) okay so when did you when did you realize that you were going to be fast when did your parents and the ski school etc think oh hang on a second there's a there's a superstar here so so in um in when I was younger actually there wasn't it wasn't girls and boys um uh sex divided racing it was everyone together it's called the Burns racing in Scotland and um I didn't really realise I was a girl growing up with three older brothers and um, I used to go to these races and want to win and I would win um, and it would really piss a lot of the boys off and I didn't realise, really understand why. Um, and then a few years later, yeah, I know, yeah, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> I went to the, the World Children's Olympics actually at 11 and I won and I couldn't believe it and that's kind of when I started uh going right skiing is for me i used to play a lot of tennis and i played for like south of england and i thought i was gonna be a tennis player in the summer and a skier in the winter uh being a bit of a dreamer so at 11 that's when i realized that i i could make a go of this skiing and um and i and i loved it i think the only way to succeed in a sport like skiing was so much injury um and you know finance issues i was really fortunate when i was younger that my parents had money to put into my dream and then later on in life the skills that i learned from having to go to people to self-promote and make companies and individuals believe in me these are amazing skills that i've taken into um, retirement but i I, you know back then i I didn't realize how tough it was going to be but i tell you what you don't choose skiing because you want to make money you choose it because it's it's the snowflakes on your heart it's an amazing sport for passion and also the thing the thing about it is that we don't have obviously the most amazing ski slopes in this country in the uk you can ski in dry slopes you can go obviously to scotland etc so i mean where did you do it and did you know were you spending lots of lots of time out in the in europe or what happened so yeah so um six times a week i was at sandown dry ski slope which is an eight second ski slope with a 90 degree dog turn um a right-footed dog turn i still can't do right right-footed turns so it didn't definitely didn't help my career um but I was there I was obsessed um and then at 10 years old I remember being at the dry ski slope and I saw this um printout on the wall saying do you love skiing um are you a teenager who wants to pursue ski racing because we've got this trip to New Zealand and there was a telephone number there this is before the internet and I remember coming home climbing off into kitchen counter and grabbing the phone and um calling this number and saying, hey, I, I want to go to New Zealand this summer. I want to go for your two-month program. I, I believe that it could be great for me. Um, and I gave it all this chat. And he said, right, tell me some details about you. I'm like, well, the one thing I'm going to tell you that you're not going to be happy with is I'm not a teenager. I'm 10 years old. Um, and <laughs> I was so obsessed. And he's like, listen, look, you know, you've got a great attitude, but I've really got to speak to your parents. And I said, okay, fine. When they come back tonight, um, they'll call you. And then that evening, I remember we were having this family discussion about the summer plans. I said, oh, well, about that, I'd really like to go to New Zealand. And my mum's there going, OK, well, listen, it's a massive cost to have all of us go to New Zealand for the summer. And I said, no, no, don't worry, you don't need to come. <laughs> and so, Anyway, so at 10 years old, I managed to persuade everyone to let me to go to New Zealand for two months. I did a homestay, stayed with the family down there. I was I was literally obsessed. Like I really this sport was for me. And um, and, you know, from there, I got the bug. I just I, I loved it. It was it was what I wanted to do. And I went down to New Zealand for eight years every summer on my own. That shows incredible strength of character from a really young age. And I mean, is that something that you think is innate or, you know, was it very much driven by being, you know, the younger sister, you know, three big brothers, you know, just mm. having to, you know, fight your way through? I'm going to say definitely because I, I'm a coach now and the 10 year olds I coach now, you know, some of them still hold their parents' hands. I mean, I, I see 10 year olds and I think there's no way they could go for a couple of nights away. And I think I was obsessed. I think that my parents knew that 
I was that driven. Um, and yeah, I, a lot of the time during my life, actually, my mum was very vocal and vivacious and passionate and people thought that she was really pushy. In fact, when she passed away, a lot of people said to me, you know, do you think Shemi's going to keep skiing? Because she only skied because of her mum. And I was 21 at the time. And I heard all these rumours and, and I realised that for years, because it was really unattractive to be such a young girl and to be so driven, I had hid behind my mum. So I, she had let me say, you know what, I'm doing this dry ski slope race. Everyone else used to wear tracksuit bottoms, baggy ones. I used to wear tight cat suit for dry ski slope at 10 years old because I was like, I want to win. I don't care. I don't care if this isn't cool. I want to win. Um, but I used to say to be popular, I'd say, oh, my mum makes me wear this. Um, and she let me say that. She let me for years hide my like determination, which I hate to say, but if I was a boy, people would have been like high-fiving me. But if I was a girl saying it, I wouldn't have made friends in this environment. So she she let me do that to her. And so when she passed away, it took me about two days to go, no, I've never skied for my mum. You know, she supported me in my steely obsession to, to be the best that I could be. Um, and yeah, you know, from age of 10, letting me go away at 10 years old as a parent, that would have been really hard. But she mm. knew that I was driven. At Her Spirit, we know how powerful women can be. We love your strength, your determination, your compassion. We love the energy that sparks when we connect and spur each other on. Her Spirit was created to ignite that flame of determination, to unleash your energy, to build your self-belief and to help every woman find a way to your healthiest mind, body and soul yet. We want to inspire one million women just like you to be active, healthy and happy because you deserve it. Head to herspirit.co.uk, join our core membership and use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 to get three months completely free. Join our monthly challenges, get access to the Her Spirit Health Hub and track your activity levels, mood, food, sleep and stress every single week with your own personalised dashboard. Get expert advice and join daily live classes that can be played back at any time. Plus, find the support that you need to get started and stay motivated. Just sign up at herspirit.co.uk and use the code her spirit pod three to get three months completely free. It's time for you. There's so much um, in what you said, and I, I entirely, you know, I've tried to unpick it in a book that I wrote a while back um, about being uh, called competitive as a woman and how that feels to be. To me, it sounds like I'm a, you know, it sounds like somebody thinks, oh, you're such a bitch that you'd, you know, I don't know, you'd like elbow somebody out the way or blah, blah, blah. I'm not like, I mean, I'm not like that. Do you see what I mean? I call it um, voluntad, actually. Annie will know what this means. There's a brilliant word in Spanish. I don't know if you speak Spanish, Chemi, called voluntad. And I don't know how, what the exact translation is, Annie, but it's like, it's the wanting to do itness. Yeah, you can you can get away with it in Spanish. It sounds absolutely right. It is that kind of like yeah. self drive, which is totally okay, you know, to have. It's not like saying, "Oh, you're pushy or you're a show off or you're driven," which always has a bit of a negative connotation. Being driven, you know, you have a picture of someone who is yeah is is a go getter at all costs kind of thing. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong with that assumption, but I think we need to. Um, so first of all, if we could if we could find an English word which would replace it. Like Voluntad, she's got lots of voluntad, you know, it, uh, genuinely in Spanish, and isn't it? It's something to celebrate, isn't it, Annie? Totally. And also, we need to, you know, really unpick that, like you say, because because for your brothers, 
that would not have been the same. So we I, we somehow need to change the language about ambition and being driven and being your best self. Even for young girls, they don't like to celebrate winning. So I mentor a few young athletes and um, this young gymnast had put her heart and soul into it. She went away and she podium in the Europeans, came back and obviously I knew how she did. And I sat there with her and I said, right, let's review this. And she said, oh, you know, look down. She's like, I did okay and blah, blah. I'm like, you didn't do okay. You did phenomenally. You delivered. You, you, you had all that pressure and you delivered. She's like, I know, but I just don't want to make a big deal out of it. And I was like, what is wrong with you saying that I won? You know, I went out there and I put my heart and soul and effort in. And she's like, I just don't want people to draw attention to me. And I'm like, but that is for a really big positive. And I think it's it's something I'm really foreign about because my mum was such a strong character that she always told me to, you know, find inspirational women, attach myself to them. And and actually in, in retirement now, I have the most amazing, strong women, beautiful women, driven women who are going out there and pushing their boundaries. And a lot of my other girlfriends don't understand you know, that I'm not jealous by them. I'm like, no, you know, I I feed off their positivity. And I think that th- th- this really needs to change very soon in our, in, in our world. And I think that's where sport can really help young women because they can understand that competition isn't about winning or losing. It's about all these invaluable life skills that we gain. And actually as a skier, breaking all these bones that I had, the resilience that I built up, the self-confidence to go out there and put myself out there and, and take those risks is, is I think, the biggest positivity I have in my life. Okay, so run us through your body and which bits have not been broken? <laughs> or should, there's Ooh. something like 47 bones, aren't there? So yeah. just give us a rundown. A little, little body scan. So I broke my neck when I was 11 and that's fused together. Um, so at the base oh my of my spine, gosh. it's absolutely fine. Um, base of my neck, sorry, it's absolutely fine, except for when I'm cycling on the road and I look up through the top of my eyes, I get a bit dizzy. So if you ever see me on the bike, I do tend to rip around Richmond Park, steer clear, because I can get a little bit wobbly. Um, and then going down, I broke my back before the first Olympics. I tried to lie about that because I thought that it might impact uh, me getting to the Olympics. So I ski with it for quite a while. Uh, my Shimmy. hips are good. My hips are good. I, I've torn my groin a bunch, but my hip like bone structure is good. I've yep. got um, a 15 inch metal nail down the bone marrow in my right leg, which means that I weight bear through metal, not my bone because I broke it so many times. I've torn my ACL. I've, bu- I've broken my arms a bunch of times. Um, I was two millimeters away from paralyzing my right arm forever. I cracked straight through my humerus on dry slope, actually. Um, and that, that was a big one. But I got really popular at school after that one because I went to, I, I got to wear this crazy look at me jumper and one of my friends got to stay with me inside every day. So everyone used to like bring me brownies and all this stuff to try and bribe to be that person because for some reason no one likes playing outside. So I remember that as being a real like kind of positive outcome to a quite a disastrous crash. But, um, you know, I'm really proud of all my scars and every time I've crashed mm. because I did spend actually a big chunk of my my career when I was at my healthiest living within myself and performing 80% and making that choice because I had this huge fear of failure and fear of letting everyone down. Um, so I decided that, you know, if I wasn't winning, I knew I wasn't winning because I had that 20%. And then I put myself in a position where I went 100% in the race. And from that day on, my career looked slightly disastrous, actually, because I was either fast or I was broken. And um, but I'm really it's a way more satisfactory way to live, knowing that every time you, you're going to do something you care about, you, you're putting your heart and soul into it. How do you I mean, I competed, uh, you know, on an international level and my nerves 
did get the the better uh, of me on more than one occasion. I mean, but I only had to dive into water. You know, I I look at skiing downhill and I just, you know, when they're, they're sort of clicking down and you're waiting for that gate to go up. I mean, what on earth is going through your mind? I have a strange relationship with food, actually. When I was very young and I had a lot of expectation to being the best in Britain, I used to not be able to sleep the night before a race. I'd throw up in the start gate. It was really embarrassing. Um, and then I got to a point where I realised that all this hard work and preparation that I was doing was for that two minutes that I got to to show, you know, the world, all this effort that I put in. And I love fear. I mean, putting my poles at that start gate, hearing those beeps, feeling like my heart pounding, like it's about to blow out of my chest. You know, that's the moment that we do all of this for. That is the moment that you can either shine or, you know, you can be upset because you haven't delivered your best. Um, fear is something we're taught is a bad thing. But actually, I, yeah. I agree with you. I think fear, you know, provides all sorts of sort of, you know, adrenaline in the body, you know, good fear like that, you know, just to be uh, on the edge is, is not a bad thing. Oh, massively, massively. Everyone, uh, you know, young athletes, I say to them, like, you've got to tell me everything when you get scared. And, and some of the girls will tell me none of the boys ever. Like, we're in the start gate of their first downhill. They're about to ski 80 miles an hour. And I know they're scared. Like, you know, everyone would be scared. And I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's talk about how you're feeling. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, right, you're shutting down. I can feel the fear coming off you. And they think they can't admit to it because it's a weakness. And I'm like, you know what? It would be unnatural for you to not be scared in this situation. You're about to push yourself to do something you've never done before. You will get to that bottom and you will be addicted to that fear and that adrenaline. But right now we need to talk about it. And I think you're right. I think it's something that if you never get scared, you aren't living. You know, then you're doing the same thing. The groundhog emotions of the day you're not, you're not being a better person. You're not being a better version of yourself. You've got to go out there and be scared. Whatever it is, it might be, you know, being petrified through your children because you're pushing them to do something. But whatever it is, you've got to grow every day. And that, and that's from when you're born to, to when you die. There's no, you don't go, Oh, I'm in my, I'm 38 now. I shouldn't be doing things that scare me. I've just taken up wake surfing um, because my body does hurt quite a lot. And I'm like, you know, what? I want to do something that I can push myself out that doesn't hurt me physically. And, and I get scared the whole time. I've got a massive cut from my knee where I tried a 360 the other day and I tried it three times and these massive crashes. And I said to the guy trying to help me, what am I doing wrong? He's like, well, maybe you should learn the five basic tricks to learn into this before you get there. And I was like, yeah, of course. yeah, right. Why didn't you tell me that? You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I just saw this on YouTube. So I'm just going for it. Uh, have you gone back to the five basic tricks? I bet you haven't. No, I haven't. But I changed That's my board enough. and I thought maybe I could do it on this one. <laughs> Um, these are amazing. You talked about the life lessons, um, you know, from, oh, yes, let's go back to that. You said about um, having to sell yourself, you know, what you've taken out of skiing. I mean, that in itself is an amazing thing to have, you know, to, not amazing. I mean, scary thing to have to do to go out and get people to invest in you and to, to believe in you. I mean, I could be really bitter. I remember I was ranked eighth in the world and I got no funding from UK sport, no one. And if I was a tennis player, if I was any of the other sports, you know, I would have been supportive. But because skiing isn't a recognised sport, it wasn't. But instead, you've got to, you know, at the time, I'm not going to lie, I did feel right, you know, I shouldn't be having to do this. I shouldn't be having to go to all these meetings the whole time. But at the same time, the skills that I have compared to, you know, someone who was completely funded, who never had to go and 
you know, tell people about their dreams. I had to back up my dreams all the time. And I think it really helped me from from a self-belief point of view, because if I didn't learn to believe in myself, how could I sell myself to someone to believe in my dreams? I think that's such an important thing for, um, you know, for both me, Annie, everybody who's listening to, you know, you're right. If you don't believe in yourself, then it's going to be hard to get anybody else to do the same. And I'm not saying it's easy to believe in yourself. Oh, it's not. And, you know, there were times where, you know, this kind of imposter syndrome, I I have gone in that start gate and I've pretended to be Lindsay Vonn many times. Because if I was Lindsay Vonn, I didn't, I could come back from this injury. I don't think there's anything wrong in imitating someone else. And, And that was something that I used quite a lot when I was, when I felt fear was blocking my performance. I'm like, you know what? How would Lindsay Vonn feel right now? She knows that she can come back from breaking her leg one day and win the Olympics the next day. So let's let's be her for a second. I'm going to be Annie Emerson when I'm running. That's what I'm going to do, Annie. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Well, well, we went for a run, didn't we, one day in Leeds when we were working there on the triathlon? And, and you had a great run, Lee, um, Lucy. So, you oh, know, Lucy, Lee. Lucy, we kids moving. I got a Lucy the other day. Oh, my God. There's something wrong with me. I've just come, I'm coming out. It's because she's lying. It's because she's lying. I'm a terrible <laughs> runner, but she runs like a gazelle, Annie. You run like a gazelle. It's incredible. I can see that by just looking at Annie's face. Isn't that amazing? Exactly. You, I can just imagine you just bouncing elegantly along no effort that's exactly what she does I don't know if that's true I mean I guess yeah I I do love my running and there you go that's what it is isn't it Shemi you know you love your skiing I mean you were talented but you adored it as well and I think you've got to love what you do and I have to say I had five weeks out of running with some little ankle injury and um, I ran today along the towpath with my dog my favorite run and I just felt absolutely brilliant and I probably ran far faster than what my actual real fitness you know should allow me to run at but I was just happy you know so yeah I guess when you love something you do it well don't you hopefully or you know you enjoy it and that's the main thing and your longevity through adversity will be a much more so if you get hurt if you get injured or you know if you're going through some mental toughness if you find something that you love that gets your heart rate up it's it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy you will start being better because you feel good and and, and you will keep doing it which is the most important thing you know we all we all love a little bit of a fad we'll go and try something because it's new but if you find something and there are so many exercises for us to do out there whether you're kind of have that holistic um well-being approach or you have a kind of like grunting crossfitter approach there's something for everyone now and i think that's what's so exciting about this kind of health and well-being world um can we talk about um you know you love it so much you're clearly you know passionate about the mountains you called it a snowflake on your heart didn't you which i think is such a lovely metaphor you must have missed it terribly Oh my gosh, all the time. I mean, uh, even, even when I was pregnant, I skied more than in lockdown, you know, and that's, that's saying something. But yeah, I think it, when it's your passion and, you know, through injury, I did have a lot of time out through injury and I knew the grass wasn't greener. I knew every time I got injured and it was a big one, I could quit. And I actually, my family intervened once to get me to retire because they thought my body had been through so much, but they didn't get that the passion and and the love I have for it. And I, and I know that, you know, even when I, even when I was forced to quit at the very end of my career, I remember BBC interviewing me in the finish of Sochi and they were ready for my retirement interview. And I got down to the bottom and I was so buzzing. 
that they that they said you know Graham Bell so so what's next for Shemi and I said actually I'm not going to retire <laughs> I was like I'm actually keeping going I know you all want me to say that um and, and eventually actually the next race I did I did crash and I went to see my surgeon and he told me that if I did crash again at, at speeds like I was racing at then my leg would have to be amputated so he put things on a very level playing field for my future in skiing as a as a recreational skier that I did retire but I would have loved to keep going you know I, I love it um, is it okay then still? I mean, you, that's really, um, very, oh, very alarming what he said to you. Is it okay to ski as a recreational skier or is that, that's presumably comes with risk as well, does it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have to be sensible. I'm, I, I can't go to the jump park and learn new tricks on skis. You know, that's something that I know that if I land, uh, my leg doesn't have that mobility to do that. And I do compensate. Yeah. So my, my right leg, I don't have any ankle flexion, which is actually my struggle, Annie, with running. Um, so especially running downhill, uh, the, the metal works kind of fuse into the ankle joint. So it's really hard for me to roll through the foot. So I do compensate yeah. with my hip when I ski. I also compensate when I'm running. I have to have kind of special footbeds. Um, but you know, it's, that's a small sacrifice for me to make yeah. for the, for the big goal and the bigger game. So life has changed quite a lot since you retired in 2014 and you've now got two boys. And I guess you've had a lot of challenges in your life in terms of your career, amazing career, but bloody tough, losing your mum at a really young age. I mean, how has that impacted you becoming a mum and how did you how did you cope with with the loss at such a young age when you were obviously so close to her um I mean it was really really tough I I'm a very emotional passionate person I actually after she died it was a real shock when she died she wasn't ill or anything and it was you know I got home from the end of the season and there were daffodils on the table saying I'll see you in the morning darling have a good sleep and there was no morning that was the night she passed away. Oh. So it was, it was a real brutal. And, and I was like, you know, what? I need to take time out right now. Um, so I actually, I went and had this foot surgery. I was born with banana shaped bones. She was a swimmer. It was great for her. We had, we both had these really paddle wide feet. Um, and I'd needed to get surgery on this for a long time. So I had to have the bones broken and realigned. So I decided to get surgery three days after she died. So I was in a wheelchair for six months because I knew then I would have to, I'm not very good at stopping. I'm very good at hiding pain by being busy. So I was like, right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to make myself stop. And so, yeah, I had this like six months of, you know, everyone saw it as physical recovery. It wasn't, it was like a mental recovery to see, you know, how I needed to take care of myself without my mum there. Um, and I think that was a really, really good thing for me. I mean, my mum, she died when she was 58, but she lived more than most people live in their whole life. And I think that's why I have this kind of go-getter attitude right now. You know, I, I fit more into a day than most people do. Um, I'm either on or I'm asleep. There's no kind of chilling out. I'm not good at that. Um, she is vivacious and crazy and strong. And my business is called Carpe Diem Coaching um, because every day she said to me, Carpe Diem. And, uh, and I think that's what life's about. And I think losing someone who's such a big part of your life when you're young, it makes you, you can either step up and, and be the person that they would want you to be, or, or you can let it affect you forever in a negative way. And I was strong enough back then to make a good decision because I had great team around me and support. Mm. And then that Annie asked you, didn't she, about how that affects you mm. and being a mum as well, I suppose, because I suppose oh. it brings back so many, you know, fond, lovely memories, doesn't it? Yeah, but also very brutal. I think, I think I, the one time you need mothering as an adult is when you become a mother. And I really struggled with that the first time because I just needed, I mean, I've got an amazing mother-in-law. She, she sacrifices so much for her grandkids, but I just needed 
my mother like I need someone to shout at to tell I was tired who'd done it all and 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 that would have been Eve and um I I really really struggled the during both my pregnancies and and the first few months I think because you're also really tired so you go to that kind of dark place and you want that comfort um but you know I I know that she would the only thing she missed out on actually in life is is her grandkids she always wanted grandkids and she didn't get to see any of them and there's quite a lot of them now so I try I've got this amazing art in my house actually that um people think is a print like a 1970s print because it's her modeling fax paper <laughs> it's amazing she's there you know looking oh. like Sophie Loren and there's this fax paper in the shop and and it looks like when I went to get it framed the guy's like oh my god could I get some prints of this to sell in the shop and I'm like oh no that's a bit weird um yes my mom it's my mom um, she's got she's got a lovely view of the garden here and uh my boys know it's her so Aww. yeah it, it does affect you but I think you you've got to I, I'm very good at talking about her um and and I think that's really important my brother's dealt with it very differently one of them's very passionate like me and the other one he just he never cried he just he became like the organizer and you know straight away looked at all the kind of stuff that needed to be done whereas we were all still grieving and I think it's you know it's an interesting way that how we all deal with it individually um but you know I've got a really good group of friends my my brothers I'm very close to and I think that's you know that's who you've got to surround yourself by positivity um you mentioned so you skied with both children when you were pregnant I did yeah yeah. Okay. So I skied um, when I was pregnant and I must have been maybe, I was quite early pregnancy and I remember feeling nervous about it. And obviously I'm a different kind of skier to you and obviously about 10 million times slower. Um, were you, what did, did people, did you find people judged you because of that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was actually really, it was worse than judging me because then I went and ripped turns right next to them to show them how cool I was. <laughs> right. So <laughs> if I ever saw anyone like rolling their eyes because I had this massive, bump, I mean, the, the hardest thing was ski trousers I couldn't find any ski trousers to get on because I had to get really big ones oh, and they fall down um so I had this like belt system to keep them up and you know if I saw anyone tutting or anything I'd be like right okay I'm going to show you but the thing is the thing is with exercise and pregnancy the rule of thumb is you can do what you did before but at a lesser extent I ski better than I walk along the pavement like I know my body, I know my limits. So yes, I skied and to, to Joe blogs out there, it would look like I was skiing quite hard, but that wasn't hard for me at all. Um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't ski in busy environments. I knew that I was, the only risk I was taking was me in control as opposed to someone else losing control and hitting my bump. Um, and yeah, mm. It felt quite empowering, actually. The thing is, I mean, life is unpredictable. But I mean, we've had these discussions before and, and we had brilliant discussions with uh, with Greg White about our only male guest on the show, who's absolutely brilliant. There'll be more for sure. Um, Greg discussed women and exercise and how some women can be judged because they run throughout their whole mm. pregnancy. Now, if you're a runner and you've run all your life, then that's OK. There is an element of risk. There's an ele- I fall over running. Oh, God, the other day I went absolutely flying. I mean, you know, skiing, people associate it with speed. But as you said, you, you're on skis better than you do, you, you know, walk. And, and it's your baby and it's precious. So you wouldn't But be you doing... have to be really confident as a pregnant woman to keep doing yeah. it. I mean, remember I, you know, mm. in the gym, I was mm. lifting weights. People would judge me uh, all the time. And I have I have friends who get pregnant who go, oh, God, show me. I don't want to do this anymore because I it's just it's making me feel judged. And I'm like, you know what? You know your body. You are inside your body. You know your body far more than anyone else. Just listen to your body. What's it telling you? Is it OK today? Can it perform mm. exercise? Can it do that? 
But um, yeah, I mean, Greg's book, Bump It Along, I think is really important to any women out there who haven't really exercised about how, because I, I really feel, so the fir- my first pregnancy, I, I think I, I'm not going to lie, I think I went too hard to it. I had a really terrible labor. I still had abs. And every time I had a contraction, Lockie's heart rate dropped to zero. So I had a bit of a nightmare with in- internal stuff. My second pregnancy, I toned it down. And I just did Pilates. And I, I had such a strong inner core that I gave birth. And my, I swear my stomach was still knitted. I skied two weeks after birth with Cooper and I skied so well. Like I felt I was so tight and knit together. Um, so I, you know, I approached it differently. And I think the Pilates during birth, the labor is, uh, not labor, not labor. Yeah, and you know what, why not? Why not? <laughs> it, might, it might help. <laughs> I had that thing when your ligaments go really stretchy too stretchy when you're pregnant then you have to be careful really careful yeah honestly it was an absolute nightmare so you had to get out of the car so I love swimming no breaststroke anybody who listens to podcast <laughs> no oh my gosh I mean ter- I mean genuinely I'd have to get out the car with my legs sort of like glued <laughs> together um anyway that's probably far too much information isn't it um <laughs> and he's and he's Shut- I, I, the first one, I was a bit like Shemi, although, you know, Tim, my, my lovely husband, I always talk about Tim. I have to, it's a bit like my wine. I always have to mention him on the podcast. I love that Tim gets a mention every time. He does get a mention. He, um, the, the first, he didn't enjoy the first birth. Um, I thought it was fine, but I think it was, that, that was the thing. I, I obviously had quite tight abs, but underneath, because I don't really have abs, as he's told me, you've never really had a six pack, have you, darling? Everything else is very fit and like, I've got good arms and legs but the belly bit it's never been that great but it was quite hard don't believe you by it the way it was quite hard a bit like you getting zoe out but by the time savvy came i nearly gave birth to him on the floor in the corridor in the hospital because he came so quickly and there was no stopping him so by that stage obviously i had no absence at all and everything's all a bit sort of gone to jelly really like listen too much information i just had to get one up on you oh, there lou sorry sorry <laughs> sorry ladies sorry everybody who's listening uh we didn't know we were going to go there um anyway um so let's talk about after pregnancy because um, obviously, you know, I put on weight during pregnancy and it took me quite a long time. To, well, I mean, gosh, years probably to use it, lose it. What about you, Shemi? Because I know you've talked about it a bit, haven't you? Yeah, no, I, I actually put on quite a lot of weight first time. I didn't focus on getting rid of it because I knew I wanted to get pregnant again. Um, second time was kind of the same. But then after my second pregnancy, I went back to work straight away. So so I unfortunately planned these babies very badly and both came in January which is right when I start my oh bad for you as yeah. a skier <laughs> and I went back so with Cooper two weeks later was the world champs in Ore and I went up to Ore with this tiny little baby um to Sweden and you know what I was so tired because I was breastfeeding and I was so I just ate I was like you know what I've got to deliver this piece to camera I'm tired give me some chocolate and I'll do it literally it was just like sugar the whole time and I knew it wasn't good for me but it was how I I think it's survival it's very much a survival those first few months um and then I got to the end of the season and I was 83 kilos and I'm friends with uh, Sarah Lindsay who's a three-time winter olympian skater and she runs a transformation gym an amazing gym in London called Raw um, and we've been friends a long time. And she said, look, Shemi, as soon as you're ready for me to help you. And I was like, you know what? Now's the time. Um, so I did a 12 week makeover and I lost 15 kilos in 12 weeks without really changing that much. Just being a bit more sensible. I stopped eating carbs. So I definitely stopped eating sugars. I actually had withdrawal symptoms for 10 days. I was a witch for like, like 10 days. I once stopped drink, um, eating sugar. Actually, it kind of stopped me forever. I stopped, you know, the, the yeah. no sugar diet yeah. and yeah. it was horrific. Yes. 
day 10. Um, and Sarah just kept saying to me, look, you've got to make it for two weeks and you'll be fine. And she was right. And she was right. But now, so since that, so then I, I got down to 69 kilos, which was a perfect weight for me. And I was really happy with it. Um, and I've got my abs back and, and I feel really good. But then now I'm just a bit more relaxed with my diet. Um, I know I have good days and then I have days where I'm exercising loads and I'll have a, you know, today I exercise quite a lot and I had banana bread. Um, but, you know, I know that next week I won't. So I'm just kind of a bit more you know what I always say? Is this worth me getting fat for? When I'm eating something good, I make Dougie have it because my husband's so small and skinny and he's got this amazing tone. <laughs> Even though he doesn't exercise at all, I'm like, eat this. Is this worth me getting fat for? And he's like, yes, eat that. <laughs> but obviously he doesn't think I'm getting fat eating it. He just knows that's how my brain works. Oh, oh my goodness. And how how is motherhood? Do you enjoy it? I love it. It's the hardest thing in the world. I mean, I thought being a ski racer from London, I'd chosen a tough job, but motherhood is a whole new level level of emotions of it's just such big highs and then such big lows I mean I've been alone for a couple of weeks so I've been doing nights and my boys are so smiley and energetic but they're not great sleepers so I don't get much sleep at night and then um, actually the other night my my 19 month old jumped down the staircase head first and I caught his leg and he hit his cheek and it's oh. the first time I've had a, a face cut on either boy you know they yeah. they and oh I just felt sick and he's now got like a bruise coming out and I just oh it just broke me like if I hadn't have caught his leg I don't know anyway so that's just a massive low so I just think you know it's it is the most amazing roller coaster of emotion and I I absolutely love it it's going really quickly I know everyone always says that um, but I love it. They're like my little buddies. I'm I'm definitely quite a soft mum because I just want to play. You know, if daddy's reading a book and I want to get outside and do some aerial yoga, because I do quite a lot of that with my eldest aerial one. Aerial yoga? Yeah. What's that? Is that what... I th- he, he balances on my legs. So he stands on my legs <laughs> and I lift my legs up. He loves it. He's crazy. And then he dives down and I catch him. And um, he's just, yeah. So that's, I love doing that with him. They've already skied? Yes. They have, yeah. They have skied. Uh, Lockie's crazy. He likes crashing when he stops. Um, if he loses two skis and two poles, then he thinks it's a good stop. If he doesn't lose his skis when he stops, he's like, oh, that wasn't good enough. Let's go again. So that's not a great, he's absolutely mental. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of natural that he would inherit that kind of screw loose mentality. My husband's a downhill skier as well. Um, but I don't know. I thought I might have one shy, retiring, easy one, but no, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> no chance of that happening. Um, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, Shemi. So her, the Her Spirit app, we are asking all our brilliant, lovely guests for their five top tips for your best year yet. So what are your five tips for all our listeners out there uh, to have the best year they can have? How are they going to do it? So first, um, especially in the current climate, I'm going to say control the controllables. There is so much external stress that we live by at the moment. You know, what's going to happen tomorrow? Are we going to be able to get out of the house tomorrow? Are we going to be on lockdown? What can I do with this? You know what? Stop stop the what ifs. Um, you know, let let the great government that we have to what <laughs> sorry I shouldn't laugh I shouldn't laugh take that out but I mean no, you, you can know laugh. it's fine <laughs> there's there's other people to take that stress on and just try and live day by day and control what you can control which is your happiness and the energy that you put to those you love so that's definitely number one I mean for me I I want to try and have a better sleep routine I want to get rid of my phone in my bed at night I'm terrible at that I go to bed. Instagram like attacks me with these sh- 
these clothes that I end up buying the whole time. In bed. In bed. So in, oh my God, I'm like a, a an 11 p.m. Instagram shopper. And sometimes they're great. But I have ordered some horrendous stuff. And because it comes from so far away, I don't want to send it back. So, I mean, my local charity shop loves me because um, they get lots of tagged on clothing that I thought that, well, Instagram told me I needed in my life, which I really didn't. So that is something that I need to improve on. Um, I love pillow sprays. I've just started buying these lavender pillow sprays. And I've, I've, got, got, I've got them. Oh, they're brilliant. oh my God, they're so good. So I've got that in my head that I'm, I'm creating a better sleep environment for myself. Oh no, I only I only save mine for nights when I really need good sleep. I don't have it every night. Oh no, like, see, I'm an addict now. Tonight is the night. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all or nothing. So I'm getting through that like a couple of bottles a week. Um, I've got lots of pillows as well. I have to spray every pillow. And now I've started putting it in the boys' bedroom because I'm like, oh, it works on me. It might work on them. Um, Does it? No, not at all. No. Okay. No. I love that. So number four, pillow spray. Number five. Oh gosh. Uh, remind me what we're talking about again. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, is this for me or for your listeners? It's for you. No, we do it for you or your listeners. It's for people who can be inspired by you. Okay, exercise, exercise. Make Fine, yourself yep. do it early in the day. It's the most satisfying way. Get up, exercise, um, even if it's like 20 minutes. I mean, you can do an eight-minute glute burn on YouTube and you will feel great for the rest of the day. Your metabolism will be hit, so it makes you feel less guilty about enjoying yummy food. Um Okay, the other thing is you've got to give yourself time off from everything. Like, find some you time. We are really bad at this. We are so good at giving ourselves to everyone else, um, whether that's, you know, a mindful app or listening to podcasts. I think that's great. You know, go out and have a walk and just listen, either to the birds or to a podcast, sit in the sun and do nothing. I am really bad at this. I need to take my own advice. I'm really terrible about that. I will say one thing. Don't use a watch that tells you how your sleep is. So first of all, first of all, they always tend to be big. Mine's massive. Mine's like yours. It's massive. And it's really hard to sleep with it on because you roll over and you wake up. And I'm like, of course I'm waking up. The sleep watch that I'm trying to get the data from is actually waking me up. So don't trust that, especially if you are a new mum, because I mean, it, it still tells me I have two hours sleep a night. I'm like, two hours? I've been in this bed for eight hours. How can I have only had good sleep for two hours? So don't look at that. Look at yourself. How are you feeling? Definitely don't look at data. Um, you've done six. Oh, have you've, I? You've, have yeah, I? You've done, okay, you're brilliant. My, fa- my favourite, though, is, of course, the pillow spray, which yes. we've not had anybody mention before. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, back to the new mum thing, because I'm sure, you know, there'll be lots of people who do listen to us who are new mums. And, I mean, all I can say to you new mums out there is you have my huge amount of sympathy. I mean, there is nothing like... The tiredness, the relentlessness, the never endingness. And all I can say is one day, you know what? It will get better. Yeah. It will get better. Yeah. And then the weird thing is that you have, I don't know, two weeks of good sleep and then, and then suddenly you, you don't even know why you're feeling better. And then you have one week of bad, you know, one night of bad sleep. And it explains so much about, for me, it explained looking back now so much about the way I was feeling about myself. I mean, the, just the, just kind of like grayness of the tiredness is just something that is can be really overwhelming yeah and we all cry my first my first after my first baby I definitely did rose tinted 
uh, glasses on Instagram. Everyone thought, oh my God, she's breezing through it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be way more honest next time. So I like put photos up of my bleeding nipples and my crying <laughs> face and the fact that I just fell over my bed because I'm that tired because everyone's been there. Like we have this very uh, distorted image of new motherhood where we feel like we have to be so eternally happy because we are blessed by having a kid and a lot of people can't get pregnant. So you feel like you can't say anything negative about it at all, but it's so tough. It is bloody. I mean, guys, I've been a downhill ski racer skiing 92 miles an hour. I've broken all these bones. That does not compare with the first month of motherhood at all. Oh my God. That is, um, wow. That, that's kind of brutal, isn't it? You know, if, if any new mums or new mums to be or, or whatever, people think about having babies, don't be put off by Shemi. <laughs> no, it's, it does get better. It's, it's, sorry. It's the, it's the best no, thing it gets ever. better. No, it's it, and, and, it and, and the honesty is a really, really good thing. I think because you're absolutely right, and that's the problem with social media. All these people with perfect lives, and we all have crap to deal with, you know. And yeah. and sometimes some periods are, of our lives are brilliant, and others aren't. And that's why we should be, mm. you know, be more together as human beings, and not sort of judge and not pretend that everything's wonderful when it's not. I, I started a podcast the second time to, to, to tell my story about this tough motherhood. Um, and the first one I did was the night before labour and I cried for 40 minutes doing my podcast and everyone loves it. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm not sure I can post this. I was like, I'm an emotional wreck, but I'm so, I mean, you can tell I'm a bit out there anyway. And I, I mean, I didn't say the word um for 40 minutes. I just cried and picked myself up and then cried again. And, and it's just, oh. it's very entertaining to listen back to now but it's normal whatever you are feeling it's normal yeah and there'll be somebody else out there who's feeling like that and do you know what whatever time of wait night you're awake there's probably somebody on instagram that's also awake too who's probably feeling the same way or some you know that's the good i mean in some ways that's the good thing isn't it about where we are with social media um is that you can hopefully reach out or you've got friends that you can reach out to and chat to I mean, I was looking at your Her Spirit stuff and, and your community you've already built up with that is massive. And it's the same thing. We all want to find people to share the highs and the lows with. And once you share it, it's you can either celebrate it or you can get support with it. Yeah. Um, so when are you next going to be able to ski? Do you know? I've actually skied a few times. Have <laughs> I've got, you? Yeah. So we, as soon as lockdown eased, because I coach a, a, a national team athlete, we had to get out there and test equipment. So end of June, I was out in Austria and then we were in France. Uh, I've been into Oslo indoor skiing um, recently. Um, and then now the world's a bit shut down. So we're mm -hmm. just trying to open up uh, possibilities for our October camp. Um, and then I run adult performance camps in Austria in December. So I'm just... You know, I'm still planning it all. Who knows? Yeah. But life's good for you. That, life is yeah. good. Yeah, life's yeah, good. Yeah, life is really busy. I, you know, I'm, I've got an amazing, uh, bubble of love around me from my friends to my family to my boys. Um, and yeah, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky because I know that the last six months was really tough for a lot of people. And I try to do quite a, a lot of online support for anyone. I actually got, you know, I don't know, 10 times I, called people and they were like oh my god is it actually you and I'm like yeah you you messaged me to say that you're struggling so I called you back and they're like oh we didn't think it would be you I'm like listen this is the time to reach out you know if you're struggling with mental health people have got more time and people are realizing the value of supporting other people because it's a selfish thing if I support someone else to feel happier about themselves that day I'm going to feel good about myself too so it's not all you, by giving support 
you do something good for yourself too. Yeah, I, I was just going to say say one more thing just to add to that is, um, you know, when we spoke to uh, the lovely Dr. Nikki Kanani last week on our podcast, um, you know, she talked about talking to people like when you're standing in uh, in a queue, you know, if you're lucky, yeah. if you're lucky to get close enough that you can actually speak to someone <laughs> or hear them or actually understand what they're saying with a mask on. If they're trying to speak to you, talk, talk to them because, yeah. you know, exactly say, there's, there's a, there's a brilliant sort of almost like, you know, selfish thing, isn't there about giving? I love to do things for people because it makes me feel good. And actually, you know, isn't that a great way? That's the way the world should work. That if we, we all help one another and even if someone's really down and you're giving them something, but it makes you feel good, then it's, it's a, it's a quid's in, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And we still have our eyes. I think our eyes tell our soul and our, and the picture of, of how we're doing. And you've got a mask on, but make eye contact with people. I, I go on the train, the tube quite a lot. And I try, I'm like this, anyone need anything? <laughs> and people start moving away from me, right? I don't care because there'll be one person who starts talking and I think it's really important. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, listen, um, good luck with the, we, we got to let you go because you've got to go, you know, whatever, yes. pick up the toddler for the mum who might have given birth in the yeah, last 51 minutes. <laughs> It might, it does, it, as we know from Annie's story and my own, it falls out second round time. So. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, listen, loads and loads oh. of luck. It's an absolute pleasure to speak really to you. brought me bouncing my life. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad. Shemmy. Thank you, guys. Thank really you, fun. Thank Happy you. Friday. Happy Friday. Yay. <laughs> and I've done my exercise even better. Thank you. Oh my goodness. What, what an incredibly bouncy, brilliant, um, person. She reminds me of what I'm like when I've had too many wine gums. I know you're going to say too many glasses of wine. I think Shemi, Shemi's def, but Shemi's definitely the, um, the sort of girl I'd like to go out with and have a couple of gin and tonics because she's, she's very real. She's very honest. She's also, you know, pretty humble, very humble and, and obviously has a really big heart. And, um, oh, she's a good talker. Oh my God. What a brilliant way to sort of finish off our week chatting with Shemi Alcott. Absolutely. Um, I love so much about it. Um, her messages are great, but also that thing about, uh, you talked, you both talked about it, how, how having a passion for something and that kind of thing about her snowflakes on her oh, heart. I mean, yeah. just that's a beautiful metaphor, isn't it? It's absolutely wonderful. When she said it, I was just like, oh, I need to write that down. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I get that. And I think talking about, you know, passion, you know, sometimes you have to go out there and look for your passion, you know, it not, it's not necessarily you wake up and it's there. So, you know, for all our listeners, you know, if there's something that you've been thinking about doing that you fancy trying, go and do it, you know, take the bull by the horns and go and give it a go. Because if you haven't quite found your passion, I mean, I, running definitely is my all time passion, but there's lots of other things I like to do too. But um, yeah, that's a challenge for everyone this week. If there's something you've been sort of putting off trying, you want to try, you haven't got around to it, go and do it. Go and find your passion. Yeah. I think mine, I mean, mine changes, but actually it, it comes, I'm sure we, we've, we've mentioned this before, but I've been for a swim today and, you know, it just, it, it's such, it, it, I've talked about it being such an effort, et cetera, et cetera, and a bore, but actually I've realised because of the seven months I couldn't be in a pool, I've just really realised how much a difference it makes to me. So today went for a swim and absolutely loved it. So yeah, 
you got to remember, you've got to find it, haven't you? And go back to things too. Yeah. And I just think we, we can never say it enough. I mean, we repeat ourselves, we say it all the time. But honestly, activity, you know, it doesn't, you know, even when you you think, oh, I'm really tired. I don't want to go for that walk or that run or that bike or, you know, whatever level, really. And I mean that really sincerely. Do it because you always have so much energy after you've got out there and done something. You know, I went for a run today. I'm not super fit at the moment. You know, I had an ankle injury, didn't run for five weeks. Oh my God, I came back. I was on fire. You know, I could take on the world. <laughs> you look like you're on fire <laughs> and also i've got that filter on the screen the one you were talking about that's making my, that is it, honestly honestly Louise. can i tell you every but shh, before before you go on i want to tell everybody who's listening honestly annie looks like she's lost 10 years in a week she's put a filter on what is it uh, louise honestly honestly on my dog's life you know how much i love my dog i do not have a filter on my computer it's the run it's the runner's glow wow i t- i mean this could convert me annie that's brilliant i love it oh my god what have you got for the weekend Lou? what have you got what's happening at the weekend for you uh, very little, wonderfully little. You? Yeah, just hanging out. Yeah, kiddies back at school. They'll be. They'll need a bit of chill time. So, um, yeah, you know, just a run, a bike, a little glass of wine with my husband or two. You know, just just hanging out a bit. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with the chickens. Oh my god, and my chickens. We've got chickens to play with. <laughs> so exciting. So pictures of the chickens. I'm thinking if oh, bye bye, I'm thinking if we love yeah. them a bit more, that they'll they'll produce eggs quicker than the six weeks that the breeder says they'll do it. So if we give them lots of love, maybe we'll have eggs in four weeks and not six weeks. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Take care. Lots of love. Hi, my name's Mel Berry and I'm the co-founder of Her Spirit. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast and we hope you found it useful. I'd just like to say thanks to our sponsors, MediChecks, who without their support, this wouldn't have been possible. MediChecks offers simple to use blood tests, Wanting to strengthen your immunity or check for underlying conditions, they offer a home test with doctor's reviewed results. Just go to medichecks.com to find out more. And remember, together we've got this. Have a great day.